All right, I'm going to, you know, I got to thinking about it. I said, Lord, Thanksgiving times are just a wonderful time where we uh, just focus. And if you don't, haven't learned how to have a good Thanksgiving with a family, even if it's just two of you, uh, but if you gather, if you've got people that you gather, I just encourage you to make a, a time, a priority in that gathering. Not just that you say the blessing, that's fine. But we've had this tradition for years, and we just, what, now we're, we'll have 18 to 20, because uh, they go, they get older, and they bring people with them. And, uh, and so we, we love to be, we have all at a table together. And that's work, and we have to do it out in our courtyard. But, but we'll just go around the table, and we have some rules. Uh, we, we're a very uh, boisterous family, loud uh, and sarcastic. So sarcasm is not allowed. Uh, when people are sharing. You can't comment on what they're saying. And so we go around. We usually start, you know, to my right, uh, and we go all the way around the table, and then Kim will be uh, next to last, and I'll be last. And so, and they, so the kids think about it for weeks ahead of time. It's just stressful to a degree. They, they're like, Grandpa, I've been thinking about. But everybody gets to play, and, and we go around the table, and, and what are you thankful for this year? And, and we laugh, we cry, uh, you know, some of them will think of two or three things, and, and uh, one year in the midst of a real hard time, one of the, the youngest, he just broke down crying, and he said, and he was going through a lot in their family, he said, Grandpa, I can't, I can't, I can't say, and the family just came around him and prayed over him and loved on him, and so you cry, and it's been a hard year, hard last few months, and uh, so we want to just encourage you to make room for that in your, make a new tradition of thanksgiving that's a very uh, uh, focused time. And when TVs are off, phones are up, uh, we, 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 we're unplugged at the table, and uh, we unplug the house, and the football isn't playing, and it just, it's family. And let's just be thankful. Uh, and, and if it's just you and your bride, uh, then, you know, be, be thankful. Uh, and, and take turns going through things you could be thankful for. All right, so I hope you have a, a wonderful Thanksgiving from us. We want to bless you in that. So I was thinking about what's honey to the, to the Lord? We've been talking a lot about honey and blessing people and mercy and giving people the, the love of Jesus, seeing people come to Jesus. And, and, and I, I just felt like the Lord said to me that, that his honey is gratitude from us, is that when we give out our humble thanksgiving to God. It's the honey that he delights in. And I, I want to I wanna give you the opposite first of someone that wasn't giving God honey and uh, the process it came to to give God honey, give him gratitude. So it's a, it's a cool story. In the book of Daniel, Daniel's a, 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 most of the people know about the lion's den or the fiery furnace. But in chapter four, this king, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, he was the most powerful person in the world. And Daniel was a, a, a God-loving uh, 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 follower uh, that had raised up by his ability to interpret dreams. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar loved uh, Daniel. And had, so he has this dream of this giant tree that grows. It says several times it reached to the heavens. And, and, and if you remember, Babylon was the place where idolatry first was birthed. In a, in, in a city, in, in the Tower of Babel, it was said to have reached to the heavens. It's a hyperbole 
just of an expression of, of the greatness of what they did in their own worship of themselves and the starry uh, host and the false gods. So he has this dream of this giant tree with beautiful leaves and, and fruit all over the tree, and it's just vast and it's great. But then all of a sudden, it, it, I don't know who did it, but someone comes along and cuts it down, cuts the tree down, and, but leaves a stump, and, and, and the stump is, is left in, in the ground. So Daniel says, King, I wish somebody else this dream applied to them, uh, but it's you. And, and I love the verse, in verse 22 in this chapter, he says, King, you are the tree. And so in now you're interpreting a dream that, you know, dreams are pretty powerful. Uh, they can be what we call pizza dreams, that you ate too much the night that night, and you just have some gastric whatever things in your head. They're just pizza dreams. You, you, you flush them. They're, they're just, don't pay any attention to them. And then there are demonic dreams that, that are wicked and evil. And when it has the breath of darkness and, and oppression and, and, and fear and, and trauma to it, that's not a God dream. But when God gives dreams, you're defenseless in a dream. You, you can't turn it off because you're living it. In your, and God can speak to you. You know, I've heard multiple testimonies of recent of, of Muslims coming to faith in Christ through dreams. Uh, Jesus appears to them in a dream. We met one guy when we were in Israel. Jesus appeared to him and, and just basically said, I'm real. Trust me and follow me. I mean, God can bypass, all, don't, even when you're praying for lost loved ones and relatives, God can visit people in their sleep because there's no defense to that. Well, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, which is he, getting interpreted to him, and he says, you're the tree. Now, I'm going to pick up the story because basically Daniel said, God's about to cut you down because you're so full of pride that you've pushed God out of your life. And I'm going to end in verse 27, at least the story. He says, therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what's right. In other words, he didn't just say, say you're sorry. Renounce your sins and then let your life be changed. Do what's right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed and to the poor. And it may be that then your prosperity will continue. So one of the greatest principles in the Bible about God's judgment is, is that it always comes with options to bypass it. We can miss the ultimate judgment of God through the cross of Jesus Christ. And by believing in Christ, my judgment is dealt with. So when I stand before God, I stand in the goodness of Jesus, not the goodness of Jamie. But you, as in the days of, of uh, uh, Jonah, when he goes to Nineveh, and he says, God's going to destroy you in 40 days. But they repented. And God changed this plans. He doesn't change, but he can change times and seasons. He can change his plans. So there's always mercy that accompanies the warning of judgment. You can miss it. And, and we'll talk about in a minute, uh, but, but you can see the, the solution was humility, repentance. Stop hiding your sin and come to God and come clean and let him change you. Now, that was the, the cure. Now, 
Nebuchadnezzar chooses to ignore the cure because nothing happened to him after the dream and the interpretation. And then in verse 28, after this happened, the king Nebuchadnezzar, there was 12 months that went by and the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty? Now, a couple things here, that 12 months, that costs God a lot. Waiting on people that are hurting you is difficult. Being patient when people are doing things that are breaking your heart is difficult. God, God's patience is expensive to him because he has to put up with this arrogance and this insolence. I mean, you know, if, if, if you said to me, Jamie, what is the number one sin in America? And, and I, you could, there, there's lots of, uh, of sins that we are uh, uh, somewhat known for. There are plenty of sins around the world, but to go around. But in America, I would say the number one sin, and, and, and I just think it's a common issue to humanity, the number one sin is ungratefulness. Now, you can see it manifested in so many ways, but it's the sin of saying, I don't need you in my life. It's the sin of saying, I've done this in my abilities, my strength. This is my success. It's the sin of shoving God out. It doesn't, it, it doesn't mean you're a bragger. Some people brag. But pride's a very uh, crafty thing. It hides itself. Most people with pride are completely unaware of it. People that are aware of their pride are moving in some level of humility. If you, if you guard your heart and you see, ooh, that was pride, you're walking in humility. People with pride don't see it. It's, it's just like bad breath. You can't smell your own. It's hard. You need people to love you and say, whoo, buddy, that's bad. You've been eating something bad. And so I appreciate that. I, I'm, I've, I've been told, you know, you get communion breath at church. I don't know if you ever know that, that when you're around for a couple services and, you have, and all you've had is that communion, and it can be bad, and people need to love on you. You can't, those of you that with animals, dogs, you don't think your house smells. It stinks. It smells like a dog. Oh, not ours. He's a clean dog. There's no such thing as a clean dog. They're nasty that you smell. Your house smells. I'm just telling you. You're just used to it. We have a dog, by the way. Ours does not smell, though. But <laughs> you knew that was coming. And we have some friends living with us right now, and they brought a cat. And that thing, it doesn't smell. It doesn't smell, but it creeps me out. So I'm going to go with the dog smell, but I'm learning the, my dog's learning the fellowship with the cat. Cat doesn't like him. Cat just turns his back to him like, we're not playing. I have nothing to do with you. And so, you know, it's pride. If you start with a premise in this story, I could be this guy. I've been this guy. You got to start with, that could be me. That may be me now. And so don't start with that. that now, this is an extravagant story. You're not the king of anything. You're not, you know, but in your own life, you've got choices and whether your life is demonstrating gratitude to God who gives us everything we have or that your life is one filled with self-indulgence, self-will, selfish 
uh, ambition and not driven by living to honor God. It doesn't matter what you say with your mouth necessarily. It's the heart that understands that everything I have has come from him. So the king's bragging. He has a year. He thinks the year means God's not all that upset with him. See, God is patient. He gives you warnings. Then something happens. And you say, wow, it just suddenly happened. No. If you go back up to tape, God gave you a warning way back here. You heard a message. Someone shared something with you. You saw someone, and you didn't pay any attention to it. The, the Bible says in Proverbs, he that is often reproved, corrected, and hardens his neck will soon be cut off, and that without remedy. Now, there are times that God's judgment comes that severe. In this case, that God's going to leave a stump. In the dream, he didn't uproot the tree. In our yard, we've lost a lot of trees that were uprooted. But then we have some that were just destroyed, and we had to cut them down. And most of them, the stumps, they're not. But there are, there's one in particular that's a, what kind is that fig? Is it a, not a fig, uh, orchid tree. Beautiful. It fell on a home, big, big tree. Well, I cut, cut it off, and, but it's got sprouts coming. There's hope in that stump. Now, I get it that not every tree that works that way. But in this story, the king goes, ah, you know, he didn't take the warning. So I'm just saying, I don't know who it is, but you, if God's been warning you of some things and you're not paying attention, you're thinking you're just sliding under the radar because nothing's really happened, then that's taking advantage of God's patience, and it's dangerous. And in verse 31, the words were still on his lips when a voice from heaven, this is what decree is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You'll be driven away from people. You'll live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like cattle. Seven times, it could be months, years, we don't know, but it's a time allotted by God. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to whoever he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven from people, and he ate grass like a cow. His body was drenched with dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle, his nails like the claws of a bird. Now, you know, it's, again, this is a dramatic story, but what it basically is illustrating is how insane pride is. Pride leads to insanity. Now, in our culture, many of the insane people would be looked at as our Hollywood stars, our sports stars, our business stars, our political stars. I'm not saying all of them, and not everyone that's successful is arrogant, but in our culture, arrogance is pretty acceptable because it comes in a form of, of a, it's, it's, a, it's a life lived for the honor of the individual. No matter how many Super Bowls they win, no matter how much their bank account is, no matter how many Grammys they win, if their life is not characterized in honor to God, then it's a type of insanity. Spiritual insanity. You know, you, we have a state in America that voted to legalize or to make it illegal that if a baby is aborted but still living, they cannot intervene and save the baby's life. Now, you, where is a world that a baby, they tried to kill it, and they couldn't. The baby's still living, 
but the doctor can't intervene. We're talking an eight, nine-month-old baby, full-grown as a baby. And, and we live in a world of insanity that people would vote that that's okay. That's insane. I don't care what you want to call it. You, and, it, it we, and you could go down the list with kids in their, their sexuality, brokenness, blah, blah, blah. We got a world that's gone crazy. And it's not because they're stupid. These are intelligent people, but they're blind to their arrogance. And when you shove God out of being the authority, when God no longer, and, and I watch people, I watch Christians, and, and when they're making decisions, you want to know, where's God in this decision? Well, he's there. We're praying about it. Now, where's God? Is he first? And what you're doing, the decisions you're making, is it thy will be done? As C.S. Lewis has said, there's only two kinds of people in the world. Those that say, thy will be done, and those that God says to us, your will be done. I don't want my will to be done. Even when I want my will, I want his will. Nebuchadnezzar is on a, I've been cut down by God before. It's a very painful thing. See, because here's how it works spiritually. God gives us many chances to bow down on our own. But if we choose to resist bowing down, surrendering, submitting, letting God do the work he wants, then there's the painful option of God's going to bow you down. He's going to cut you down. Now, you may say, that's harsh. No. If God didn't love King Nebuchadnezzar, he'd let him live in his arrogance and die in his arrogance and die in his blindness. See, because there's a mercy and God's shaking things. And I've said early on, all the way through, I do not put Ian at the feet of Jesus and say, he sent the storm. But I will tell you this, God will use the things that the enemy means to destroy us, God will use it. And God, if, if there's any one word that ought to characterize this community right now, it's the word gratitude. As bad as it is, as painful as it's been, it could have been. How many rumors did you have to write out? I mean, we were living in the land of rumors on our island when we were, we were told to the Sanibel Lighthouse, gone. We were told Sanibel never be restored, gone. We were told that, that Pine Island will probably be evacuated and it'll be months before anybody will live out there, gone. We were told, you know, it'd be months before you have your power. It was, none of those things. We were told early on there were thousands dead. Bodies in the and the skating rink, laying on ice. Thousands. Now, I get it. In the middle of things, fear grips people, and it just becomes catastrophic. It was bad enough. I don't know what the totals, that it, you know, 10 people dead is, is a lot. But I know we're over 100 and are just in our area. But this is humbling. And it, it, it's humbling to be without power. It's humbling to be without water. It's humbling to not have resources that you want. It's humbling not to be able to live in your home. It's, it's humbling to see things that you value. and it, It's humbling. And, and, and good things can come out of humility. Good things, gratitude can be born in the middle of this. So the king is learning a deeply profound lesson by, okay, you want to keep eating that like a cow? It's, I think of Howard Hughes. They said his fingernails grew like this story. Richest man in the world at the time. He refused. So fear had brought him into such an insanity. Because pride, 
leads to foolishness, which means someone foolishly blocks God out of their life. Even if they say, well, I go to church. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about life lived, decisions made, finances built upon, relationships established with. The principle that God is first. And I'm grateful to him. We are grateful. So the king wasn't grateful. And it cost him. He got cut down. But God left a stomp. That's the hope. I love that in this story. If you go back through it and read, underline the word stomp. Because God could have uprooted him. But the stomp says, you can grow back. I've been cut down to a stump before. It's no fun. But there's hope in a stomp. Look what it says happens. In verse 34, I love this verse. It ought to be, become one of your favorite ones in the Old Testament. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven. Now think about this. This is, this is, he's being cured of insanity. And the first step in the cure was lift your eyes. Lift your eyes off of you, off of your kingdom, your stuff, your problems, your challenges, your needs, your wants. Lift them up. Look up. Look up to heaven. This is, this is he's beginning faith, his birth in, his, in that humility. So in, one, in essence, whatever you went through to be cut down, as painful as that is, what comes out of it is worth being cut down. Because if God hadn't cut him down, he'd have never looked up. He was looking in. He was looking at his kingdom. When you're cut down, you got nowhere else to look. Now, you could dig a hole and die in it, or you could look up. Think about the times in your life where sanity was restored. Like the prodigal son, you wouldn't have looked at him and said he's insane. He's a party hearty guy. He's living the high life. He's blowing all the inheritance he ever could get. You don't got to look at him and say, man, you're insane. But he was. He was insane because he turned his back on his father, because he lived his life in his own selfish ways. And I love the story in Luke 15 when it says, and he came to his senses. That's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. That's what happens to all of us. When we come to that place where it's like, wow, I can't, I can't do this without the Lord. I, 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 I need him. I, I want to praise him. I want to be grateful. And, you know, and that song we sang, oh, my soul, don't start being shy. He's talking to himself. It's like David in Psalms. David said, oh, my soul, why are you cast down? Get up. Praise the Lord. You ever, really, you ever preach to yourself? Practice preaching. You should practice it. You don't need to be with people. Look in the mirror. Say, what do you complain? What do you have to complain about? Look at the good stuff that's going on. Look what Jesus has already done in your life. Look at the blessings you've already gotten. He's looked up. When you start looking up, life changed. Now, that didn't change his circumstances. It changed his heart because he looked up. And then it says, when he raised my eyes towards heaven, my sanity was restored. Then I praised the most high. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Verse 35, all the people's of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Verse 36, at that same time that my sanity came back, my honor and splendor 
were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out. I was restored to my throne and became even greater. I circled those words in my Bible than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right. All his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, let me tell you, he's able to humble. I think he's got a right to give that testimony. He was humbled. If there's anybody in the Bible that got humbled, this guy did. No one else in the Bible ate grass for seven years and grew their fingernails like claws and had hair like, like feathers on their back. Lost every joy, every pleasure, every friend, every... No one was ever more humbled. But yet God said, watch this. I'm leaving a stomp. And out of that stomp, a new Nebuchadnezzar is going to rise. One that praises me, exalts me, honors me. Listen, and that's the process of what God wants to use in our lives when there are challenges and there are chastisements or punishment that you go through. And God's not trying to hurt you or harm you. He's trying to destroy your pride that's blocking you from seeing the greatness of who he is. Because big trees sometimes have to go down. And it opens the sky for the real glory that the big tree had been blocking. And I often remember, I want to keep my head down low as a pastor. My heart and goal is to never get in the way of people seeing the glory of Jesus. I don't want to be cut down. I don't want to be in the way. I don't want to be guilty of arrogance and pride that is hidden and religious. You can be religious. I've been a preacher and filled with pride. You, just because you know the Bible and the most prideful person that's ever been made, Lucifer, was a worshiper. You know, pride is a, if you start with the premise that you have pride, I'm just start with that. I am prideful. Help me say that with me. I am prideful. If you don't think that's true, you might have worm pride. Oh, I'm nothing. I'm no good. I don't, you know. When anybody practices worm pride, just start agreeing with them. You'll see the pride come out. What do you mean I can't? Someone says, you know, this shirt, oh, it's nothing. It's an old shirt. It's just, I say, yeah, it does look kind of old. It's kind of uh, just outdated. Why, did, why would you even wear it? What do you mean? There's nothing wrong with this shirt. It's just false pride, you know, just people try to hide it. There are peacocks and then there's worms, and both can have pride. They just hide it in different ways. So I say today, let's be a grateful people, amen? Let's be worshipers. Let's find reasons to worship the God who's worthy. Worship is the cure for insanity. Praise, adoration. And next time your soul says, eh, I don't know, you know, lifting my hands is kind of weird. It's not about you. It's not how you feel. It's not how you look. It's about the one that you worship. We honor him. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I'm going to give you guys a second chance at that new song. It was pretty pitiful the first time around. Let me help you. I didn't look, but I'm going to go out on the limb. And in that parts where it talks about lifting the hands, a lot of you weren't. Now, this isn't religious performance. This isn't somebody's going to count you. You know, you can lift your hands and be thinking about where you're going to eat lunch. So we're not talking about just some outward act. But I'm talking about a genuine sense of, God, you're worthy of me lifting my hands, lifting my praise to you. So I want us to stand up together. I'll just take a moment.
in this story would you be a Nebuchadnezzar that's being warned and you haven't listened to it? Would you be someone that's already been cut down and God's beginning to restore you? You know, or somewhere in between? You've been in the process of being humbled and you know your day's coming, a new day's coming. You, you know, we're all in different places. And a few bad decisions, and I can be Nebuchadnezzar all over again. And the only thing that exempts me from that is bowing before the Lord in humility. You know, he lifts up the humble. It says he resists the proud. And again, we all have pride. If you don't think you're prideful, ask your spouse. They live with you. They see it. And that's helpful. You've got to be willing to be teachable. And it's not your job to point out other people's pride, by the way. Let me just help you there. That's pride on the highest extreme. Well, I can see pride in people. That means you're eat up with it. Whatever you notice in people that bothers you the most is something that's in you. I can't stand people that do this. That's because you do it. You just don't see it. I don't see myself doing that. Well, that's you. I'm loving on you. I'm helping you. I don't want to be a stump. I'm grateful if he cuts you down, he leaves the stump. That's a good thing. But I, I, I want to bow myself down. I want to humble myself. I want to choose to let God interview me. Not tell God what he needs to do in my life. But God, what do you want to do? What do you want to work on? Where do you want me to change? Humility, it's the cure for insanity. Praising, be a people of praise. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Lord, would you come and help us as we bow down in worship? Help us to be grateful today in a new way, a new level. Lord, we can look back we can see so many things that we can be grateful for in our past. So much to celebrate. Your faithfulness, your goodness, your protection, your forgiveness, your deliverance, your rescue. And Lord, we can look up today and you're the same God yesterday, today, and forever. So we're going to celebrate not just what you've done, but who you are today. And then, Lord, we want to exercise the faith to thank you for what's coming, that there's better things coming as we seek you. You're the God of restoration. Lord, you restored Nebuchadnezzar from the worst destruction you could ever imagine. You brought him back. You're going to bring our community back. You, you're, you're, going to, you're going to raise us up, Lord. Not that we'll be anything but that we'll make sure that you're everything. We can give you our hallelujah. It may not seem like much to our flesh and our intelligence, but it's honey to you. As we sing right now, we're giving you honey back for the honey you've given to us, the goodness of your grace in our lives, Lord. Help us give you the honey of praise, the fruit of our lips, born out of our own pain, Lord. There's people here today that could be depressed. They could focus on their own pain and challenges. 
Lord, help them to look up and see you. Help them to praise you that you're in control. And if you be for us, it doesn't matter who's against us. Let's worship him together, church.